Welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is where we sample the talents of the most notorious chefs, home cooks, foodies, and celebrities that sizzle. Get ready for a culinary journey that you won't find anywhere else. Here's the host of Kitchen Chat, Margaret McSweeney. Hello, dear foodie friends, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your co-host and founder, Margaret McSweeney, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. I am so excited about today's guest. Such an honor to have this icon in the kitchen. Well, she needs no introduction. Mary Sue Milliken is one of the founders of Women Chefs and Restaurateurs, a pioneer within the culinary industry, a true luminary, award-winning, all of the accolades. I'll make sure that I post her bio for you. But welcome, Mary Sue. Thank you, Margaret. It's so great to be here. And, uh, you know, it's been a long sort of a lull during the pandemic when a lot of us kind of had to kind of, you know, rethink everything. So it's great to be back um, doing podcasts and all kinds of things. Oh, well, it's truly an honor to have you on, Chef. And I'd love for the viewers and listeners to hear your culinary journey story. What was the catalyst that got you so interested in Mexican cuisine? How did that happen? Can you share with us? Well, sure. Um, You know, I loved my home ec class in eighth grade (laughs) and uh, they don't even teach it anymore I don't think but I just really enjoyed being in the kitchen my mom was a great cook I ended up um, moving to the south side of Chicago and going to chef school when I was 17 and then um, later on working in French restaurants in Chicago Le Perroquet and and then (laughs) I worked in France for a few years and um, I, I actually met Susan Feniger my business partner of 42 years now at working at Le Perroquet in Chicago. And we both went to France around the same time, came back and decided we would open up a little restaurant together. We didn't know where or how or where we'd get the money, but we ended up um, on Melrose Avenue in Los Angeles and next to an eyeglass shop that had opened a little cafe, but didn't really know how to run it. And so we took took that on and became their partners and um, kind of, you know, started cooking food that we loved, but it was, um, although we were very classically French trained, we really loved food that was a little more rustic and more um, authentic or just more, you know, bursting with flavors. And so Mexican food, of course, was um, one of those cuisines that we were in love with. Um, and we also worked with so many Mexican people in kitchens in Chicago and in Los Angeles. We were very inspired by what they would cook for family meal. And, uh, we would drive all the way to East Los Angeles to get our favorite carnitas tacos and bring them back as a treat for the team. So when we moved from our little tiny 900 square foot cafe to our bigger uh, city restaurant. It was called City Cafe, and we moved to a bigger um, quarters, five thousand square feet, and um, that we still had that little location. So we decided to open up a little taco stand, oh. and we went to Mexico and drove around in a little VW Bug and and ate at the markets and and you know visited some of the families of some of the employees that had worked for us, 
and, and it was really a great way to kind of um, get immersed in, in Mexican food and culture and come back with some great ideas. Wow. You have spoken so many wonderful words within that um, key phrases. First of all, Paris, tell me about your experience in Paris. Well, I, um, I was there 79, 80, and I worked in a, uh, a restaurant called uh, Olem, Restaurant mm. Olem, and it was uh, owned by a, a couple who were French Moroccan, and she was the chef, Dominique Namias, and he ran the front of the house. And it was really a great experience for me because it was the first time I kind of saw a woman in the kitchen who was very feminine. You know, up until that time, I was sort of, you know, cut my hair really short, wore my steel-toed shoes, tried to act like a boy or a man and tried to just, you know, fit in because I, uh, you know, there weren't very many of us in the kitchen in the 70s. And um, she was really very feminine. She would work all day in, you know, chef clothes, but she would go home and come back at night in like a a low cut sort of white V-neck t-shirt and a big white skirt and big high heels, uh, white high heels. (laughs) And she she would expedite in the kitchen, but then, you know, she'd also go to the dining room and it was a tiny little kitchen. There were only five of us and I worked there for a little over a year and it was really great experience for me. She was a, it was a great role model for me to really you know, be able to, you know, just combine femininity with, with being in the kitchen. I love that. Now, while you were in Paris, were you able to um, meet other culinarians? I mean, with Anne Willen and other wonderful, wonderful women. Yes. You know, um, I wish I had, but I, to be honest, I was so busy working. I just, barely had time to you know go I worked six or seven shifts a week and I um didn't really get paid very much so I wasn't able to meet you know a lot of the people that I've met since then like Dory Greenspan and and uh Ann Willan all those people I've met since luckily and um and you know the Parisians were very, in the 70s, they were um, very unique and very kind of not particularly welcoming. Ah. <laughs> it took me a long time to want to go back. It took me 20 years before I went back to France. I, I And now I love it. But I think at the time, I wanted to, any traveling that I was going to do after I returned, I wanted to go to, you know, Southeast Asia and Japan and China, and I wanted to go to India and, you know, Turkey. And then the first time I remember going back to Paris with my husband for our 10th, our first, our one year wedding anniversary, I had a great time. And I, and I feel like France has changed a lot since then and become more welcoming by far. Absolutely. And as our foodie friends know, Paris will always have a special place in my heart. I was just there this year to celebrate uh, my 60th birthday, which was very, very special. And on a bittersweet note, that is where my father passed away at the Charles de Gaulle Airport. 
1990, I know. So it was bittersweet there, but a celebration of his life and also his joy because he found such joy not only in Paris, but with gathering in the kitchen and cooking and sharing meals and understanding the different cultures. So I would love to hear what brings you joy in the kitchen. It's so interesting because I think like your father, um, I don't know where he grew up, but, but I grew up in Michigan and I remember, you know, working and living in Chicago and then, um, the the catalyst that took me to Paris in the first in at the beginning was a, a breakup with my boyfriend and I thought if if I needed to get at least two thousand miles away <laughs> I don't know why but um, also I was just very interested in in doing an apprenticeship and and really learning from the masters but when I arrived in France it was the first time in my life as a 20 year old or 22 year old that I really felt like, wow, these people, I fit in here. They care about food. They, when they finish breakfast, they think about their next meal, lunch. When they finish lunch, they think about dinner, you know, and every meal is special and every meal is an opportunity to gather and, you know, relax and restore and be together. And I think I was it's interesting that your father loved it too, because it's a very, it's very reaffirming when you are obsessed with food <laughs> to be surrounded by others who are very much like-minded. And um, I guess for me, joy comes from, I, I really like uh, cooking for other people. I, I mean, every day that I don't cook, which is, which there are not very many of them, but when I don't cook, I feel a little unfulfilled. Like I haven't really, you know, had as much fun. And I, so I basically, um, and now, and during the pandemic, I've been sort of keeping a notebook of all the menus that I want to cook, the, the new things I want to try, because I, I just love it. I just love cooking like it's it brings me more joy than than anything I love this and I am understanding this joyful journey even more that my dad had through you so thank you this this is just amazing so you mentioned dishes you're wanting to try what are some of those <laughs> if you can share well I'm a I'm a very adventurous eater and I love love all kinds of food but I I think um I I think for me I I travel through my cooking and my and my um ex, my culinary exploration so here in Los Angeles you know I am blessed with an amazing kind of multicultural um city where I can go to a Chinese grocery, a Thai market. I can go to an Indian grocery store at the end of my block or Japanese grocery store. So I often will, you know, think ahead like about Indian food and I'll think, okay, here's the dishes that I used to crave and I still crave and I haven't had in a long time. I did a lot of this during the pandemic because, you know, we weren't open for several months and then when we did reopen um our team was doing such a great job and susan and i being 
the elder statesman of the company <laughs> and not wanting to get sick, we we were able to stay home quite a lot. So all the food I was craving that I we all used to go out and eat when we, you know, we'd go out for Chinese or Korean or whatever. So then I started just cooking those at home often. And um and it's now become sort of a rhythm for me where I'll I'll think ahead about um what I wanna what I wanna explore next. Although I also go into the restaurant and cook with our team whenever we're going to revamp the specials or, and that's right now Socolo in Santa Monica is our newest restaurant. We opened just at the end of uh, 2019, like a couple weeks before the end of the year, and then had a really good run and then it kind of rejiggered everything, but we're, um, we're California Mexican and enjoy really having fun with that, uh, you know, with that team. So I cook, I cook there a lot too. Oh, I love that. Um, I was just recently on the red carpet interviewing for the James Beard Awards uh, in Chicago. And it was just a celebration truly of world cuisine that is here in the United States. And L.A. particularly, you do have great access. But I love that the flavor profile is changing so much within the country. And um, I'd love to hear that you're, you're cooking all that. And a, a big shout out and thank you to our mutual friend, Chef Katie Chen, who brought us together. Yes, yes absolutely. And um, you know, the Beard Awards, I'm on the board of uh, trustees of the Beard Foundation. And yes. I am so proud of the work we've done to really um, expand the horizons of our, our members and our um, supporters and really look at all the beauty and in the culinary richness that our country has to offer and really celebrate more than just, uh, you know, the very, very expensive and the very, very fancy places, but also celebrate just excellence at every, at every level. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought it up about the James Beard, you being part of that. It, it's, it's exciting to see all of the positive changes happening within there. And, and you could palpably feel this on the red carpet as um, everyone celebrated. So that's very exciting. Another question. You mentioned you've been with your wonderful business partner, Susan Finnegar. For 42 years, any advice for fellow female entrepreneurs on how to develop business partnerships, how to keep them going strong and profitably? Well, um, that yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, being a partner is, it's, it's, we probably all have the, the DNA to be partners. It's not that different from a marriage really but i think a lot of partnerships don't last and i i think the reason ours has lasted is that you know we are both very committed collaborators we really believe in our hearts that uh you know the sum of the parts is much greater than you know just adding one and one equals four not two you know so what we're able to create together is 
um, far better than either of us could create on our own. And so we, we constantly see the value in that. And then I think, um, like any relationship, there's all kinds of, you know, hurdles and bumpy roads and, you know, times when you feel like, I'm going to kill her (laughs) or, you know, I don't know if this is worth it. Um, And I think through all that, we've just been really open with each other and allowed each other to grow in whatever direction is going to fulfill us. So that's the other thing is you can always count on change. So whether it's your marriage or your business partner, or if you own your restaurant or your little business all to yourself, you got to keep changing. Nothing's the same, nothing. So, you know, as much as we want it to be the same and we, we, we feel more safe when it's, when we can count on it being the same, it's just never going to be that way because <laughs> things just keep changing. Yes. It, it is not, is it inert? It is <laughs> constant thing yeah. and changing and you have to adapt and be flexible. Now the great lessons, I think you could write a business book as well. Maybe. <laughs> Well, I definitely learned by, you know, trial and error because there have been plenty of times when, and that's the other thing about a a great partner is when we're really succeeding and things are on a roll and things are great, that's when we think, oh, I'm not sure I need a partner or, but when it's a huge failure that you're facing, which is happening all the time, not all the time, but it definitely happens at times. That's when for me and Susan, we've pulled together and been so grateful for our partnership because that's when I think we um, most need each other and we most appreciate each other. Oh, I love hearing that. And and kudos to you and women entrepreneurs. It's very important. And for those of you who are women entrepreneurs out there, stay encouraged and be flexible, it sounds like, and expect change. So you as I was saying earlier, you are a pioneer within this culinary movement of Mexican cuisine. What would you say, and you continue to be a pioneer as well, but how would you mentor those up-and-coming culinary pioneers? What what would be your best advice to them? Well, I you know, I've started actually a new nonprofit here in Los Angeles, and we've um, expanded to Washington, D.C., and I do a lot of mentoring. It's called Regarding Her, and it's all about uh, advancing women women's equity uh, for food and drink entrepreneurs, and I, I think that the you know, gosh, there's so, so much nowadays. And the young people that are coming up are brilliant. They're smart. They are, you know, incredible with technology. They are so quick. And a lot of the women I work with are actually career changers. They came out of, you know, say investment banking and got into a restaurant or came out of grant writing and got into catering or, you know, so I think it's really interesting um, that, that that has changed. The landscape has changed. So there are women who are very um, skilled in other ways and they're bringing those skills to this industry. When I was coming up through the ranks, it was, we were all pretty much um, 
that was all we'd ever done. And so it was uh, really different. But I guess um, I would say that, you know, there are, I would encourage women who are, are pioneers in the industry today to just continue to explore, to go um, and to get more and more uh, specific and granular about what they're doing. And because I think there's an appetite out there within the public to learn more about, you know, it used to be that, you know, Mexican cuisine was tacos and enchiladas and, you know, burritos maybe, or a quesadilla. Then, you know, now we're looking at, you know, the, the food of Oaxaca versus the food of the Yucatan versus, you know, Mexico City, which is really, uh, you know, exploded with culinary kind of innovation. And so I would just say to to really um, dive in deep and to take to get a lot of experience that you can then, you know, use to delight your customers and to educate them and to get them more um, connected to the world out there. So it's, it's a little bit, I think food is such a, a great um, connector of all of us. I mean, clearly we all have to eat every day. So, you know, it is sort of a universal language that we speak and understanding each other in this global economy, the global world, you know, really having um, empathy for all different people all over the globe and what they're going through, I think um, can be, can really be learned through food in a big way. I love that. And that was such a key lesson. My dad would always teach me. So this, this is just so beautiful to hear this from you. Well, one person I wish I had had the opportunity to meet and I never did because I got into the culinary journey much later Julia Child, can you share some special memories about Julia Child and how the two of you connected? Oh, my gosh. Julia came into our very first little cafe about a year after we opened, and she was such a champion for me and Susan. She loved our food, loved what we were doing, and was just so uh, you know, supportive and always trying to find ways to introduce us to people. And she, she came out to um, Santa Barbara for the winters when she was still living in Boston. And so we would see her, she'd pop in every once in a while. And, you know, when she invited us to be on her for one of her series called cooking with master chefs, that was a huge, huge uh, joy for us. We, we, we filmed it at my house and she was at my house for three days in a row from early in the morning to late at night. And we, we cooked all day together. She sat on the couch and took notes and, you know, she, she uh, was just, you know, I learned so much from her about not just about food, but about how to be, you know, um, how to be a celebrity in a, in a way that's very, you know, down to earth and and uh, available to everybody. I think she, I mean, a lot of times, I'm pretty shy, really. And a lot of times shy people come off as being like, you know, snooty or, or standoffish. And 
watching Julia with her fans, like we'd have book signings right next to each other. Of course, she'd have a line around the block and Susan and I'd have like four people. But <laughs> in those early days, especially, but watching her, you know, she would stop with every single person and ask one personal question of them, no matter how long her line was. You know, I have another friend who does that, David Sedaris. You know, he'll he'll sign books until four in the morning if he has to, but he connects with each and every one of his fans and readers. And I think that's, um, I just think I learned that in a way, and it made me feel so, um, you know, lucky and fortunate to have had that kind of at an early age, had, had met Julia and watched how she interacted with people. And it gave me a lot of courage to, you know, be more than just, you know, sort of a shy wallflower. (laughs) Oh, thank you for sharing that story. I love that. I feel like we should say the joy of Julia. (laughs) I mean, she truly exemplified and lived that. Oh, thanks for sharing. Well, do you have any up and coming projects or anything? I'm going to make sure we have a link to regarding her. Does there, is there a website for that? Yes, regardingherfood.org. Um, we are, what's interesting, because I, like you said earlier, I was a founder of WCR, Women Chefs and Restaurateurs, but, and I'm on the board of trustees of the Beard Foundation. But what's different about regarding her that I'm really excited about is we're putting deep roots into the community and we're touching consumers and women operators and and up-and-coming women leaders and decision makers in in the food and drink business so if you go to the website you'll see there's a map of LA County and you can find all the women-owned restaurants and food shops that you could you know choose to support and then we you know I we've just expanded to DC I'd love to come to Chicago someday soon um (laughs) You know, we're, I think it's, I, I really want more people to know about us and what we're doing, because I think it's going to be a, a, a we're going to accelerate gender parity in my industry in a way that I expected back in the 70s. By the time I was 64, I thought we would be a lot farther along, and um, th- which is why I pour myself into this uh, nonprofit work every day and and I'm really excited about um, accelerating it. Oh, I love that. And any other projects are you working on? A cookbook? You already have the restaurant. We'll have to send a we link do. to We do. We're, we're, um, well, we're working on a really cool thing out in Palm Springs. We're going to open in about nine months. We're going to do all the food service for a, um, a retirement community for people 60 and older for the LGBTQ plus um, yeah. community called Living Out. And um, Susan and I are doing all the menus and we're hiring all the staff and it'll be um, like a clubhouse and, uh, and and a community of of condominiums that people own and, and um, there'll be, you know, pools and bocce ball courts and all kinds of fun things I think and we would like to do this in other in other locations all around the country and I think it's a really fun kind of thing it's a great thing for us to do you know in our 60s because we're we're you know um looking at that we're also 
opening more um, restaurants in Vegas. We're opening in the T-Mobile Stadium. We have um, two concepts, Barbecue Mexicana and Pachamamas, which is sort of a Peruvian skewer concept. We're doing at um, many of the sports arenas in Vegas and also in L.A. And our restaurant in Vegas is going to turn 24 this year, which is a long time. And that's Border Grill at Mandalay Bay. And uh, we I was just there in Vegas yesterday. I actually love going there. I love the the team we have and we just keep growing and, and evolving and changing because that's the only way to stay relevant, really. Um, and that's for us, you know, that that's kind of enough, I think, for the moment. Susan and I are also kind of working on a succession plan where our team can become uh, owners of our company and we can slowly kind of, you know, guide them, but also invest in their projects so that they will have um, some of the same opportunities we had, you know, over the last 40 plus years. And and I think. Um, that's kind of been a, an exciting thing to to contemplate and to to look at and and it keeps us really busy so it's you know the, the pandemic actually was a blessing for for me in terms of um teaching me about you know as a founder you get you, you tend to be very attached to every little thing about your company and the pandemic just taught me that if I step away and get out of my team's way, they actually are incredible. You know, I don't have to do it all. I can actually let go a little bit more. And so I think that's been great. And they've been happier and I've been really happy about, you know, being able to spend time on regarding her and to spend time with um, the succession planning and and coming up with ways to keep everybody kind of engaged and growing and so there's a you know we still work like crazy hours and enjoy ourselves but it's just not it's it we keep reinventing ourselves to be working in a different way I love that and as you said we have to always change so you are also a pioneer in that teaching us all how to change and adapt. What a journey that continues. So much fun. So I always like to end Kitchen Chat with the top three tips from our guest that you would share for the home cook. The top three tips. Wow. Well, um, okay, I would say shop at a farmer's market whenever you can. And what I do is after I shop at my farmer's market, I, I usually go Sunday mornings, I come home and I do a fair amount of kind of washing and, you know, I have a whole system around how I store things. So it stays, they stay very, very fresh for at least a week or 10 days sometimes. And um, so I'd say, first of all, the ingredients. So, so do your best to bring into the house only the best. And, and uh, let's see. Another tip, I would say as far as flavor goes, um, I'm always trying to balance salty, sweet, spicy, and bitter. And, and I think all those flavors really, um, in, in every dish that we do, like um, I just made the other night a bell puri, which is a, an Indian salad. 
and it has like sour tamarind and spicy serrano chilies and then it has um you know the it has a uh, sweetness you you always have to put a little palm sugar in there and but it, you, it's not overly sweet sometimes in american versions of ethnic food they go a little too far in the sweet side i think but i think for everything that you're cooking whether it's you know a steak or a fancy you know composed dish of many many different ingredients it's just the, coming back to that idea about the balance of of those flavors and texture because everything for me I always want to have, you know, a crunch on top of something smooth and creamy, or, you know, I want to keep, keep the palate really interested that way. And I guess the, I don't know, I'm, I'm a real health nut. So the third thing I would say is um, try to take the time to eat 80% plant-based. It takes more time, but I feel so much better and happier and my waistline's happier. And the older I get, the even more important is to eat more plant-based food and even, you know, to feed your body, you, you know, it, it's fuel. So you want, you want to look good and, and feel good, make sure you put good food in there and, you know, and, and lots of plants. I love that. And I am trying to go towards a plant-based um, lifestyle. Any quick dish that you would recommend? You said plant-based will take more time. What What would well, be? I think what- uh, prep, prepping vegetables is just time-consuming. You know, throwing, getting a piece of protein, fish, chicken, you know, whatever it is, it'll satisfy your your need for food and it'll satisfy your hunger fast and it'll but it's and it's easy to to work with vegetables just take a little longer so that's why i try to on sundays you know get a lot of things prepped ahead i would say um you know oftentimes well it's summertime so i'm eating a lot of salads i'll eat like a bacon lettuce and tomato salad it'll be 80 percent plants and some bacon because you know who doesn't love bacon <laughs> but it, and I'll put some croutons in there so I won't be too heavy on the carbs because um you know the older I get I think the I I want to eat carbs and I want to eat fat and I want to eat protein and, but I want to eat those in moderation that's another thing Julia was very good at teaching people oh. how to how to be moderate about it you know everything's good in moderation so um <laughs> I would say, yeah, make a BLT salad and some croutons in there. And um, that's a great summer one. I also do a tuna salad with lots of croutons and I always put anchovies in. But basically, you know, you don't need more than 20% to to really, you know, make all those vegetables taste so good. They're, my goal is to make uh vegetarian or nearly vegetarian food irresistible to a carnivore (laughs) i love that i think a good chef any good chef ought to be able to do that absolutely well chef mary sue milliken thank you so much for being on kitchen chat dear food sure we have links to all of her delicious restaurants her wonderful organization regarding her food uh, dot org and um some 
just some great things ahead. So thank you so much. Thank you, Margaret. It's been a pleasure. And I wish I would have had a chance to meet your dad. He sounds like an incredible guy. (laughs) But uh, hopefully our paths will cross in person someday soon. Absolutely. And dear foodie friends, thank you for joining me on this culinary journey with Kitchen Chat. Please check out all the great things with Chef Mary Sue Milliken. And always remember to take a moment and savor the day. Mm